Welcome to the True Myth Media Podcast, a journey of film and faith. I'm your host, Michael McDonald. And I'm Seth Steele. And this week we'll be discussing the season finale, series finale of Game of Thrones. Yep. As well as celebrating the upcoming Godzilla King of the Monsters with a discussion of our experiences with Godzilla films over the years. But first, if you weren't following True Myth on social media this week, you might have missed reviews for How to Train Your Dragon, the whole trilogy, Roland Emmerich's Godzilla, the original Godzilla, Cold Pursuit, Godzilla Final Wars, Shin Godzilla, Godzilla Planet of the Monsters, and Godzilla 2014, that's the one with Brian Cranston, uh, and also Kong, uh, Kong Skull Island. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been a lot of uh, monster movies. What? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> to think that'd be the bulk of our reviews in a Godzilla uh, series, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, for, before we get into the Godzilla movies, though, I, I wanted to highlight a couple of like kind of Christian media news items that uh, I saw this week. The first one is that uh, there is, I don't know, how much do you know about Jim and Tammy Faye Baker? Anything I, about them? This is the first time I'm hearing okay. their name. So uh, if you've ever seen, like, uh, I think it was TBN, the Trinity Broadcasting Network, the lady with the, like, makeup on and the wig and uh, their televangelists, uh, you know, kind of. It's usually not the kind of programming I watch. So I don't really watch it either, <laughs> but it was always on, like, you'd flip through the channels and I would spot it. Okay. You know, and yeah. uh, they were, but they were, like, big uh, back in the 80s, especially. Okay. And uh, they, there's some new casting news out. They're doing a movie that's based on uh, actually a documentary that was done about Tammy Faye Baker uh, called The Eyes of Tammy Faye or Eyes of Tammy. Um, they call it that because she wore like really heavy eye makeup. And she's – yeah, she's a really ridiculous looking person because of the way that she did her makeup. Okay. Very recognizable. But uh, actually they just cast Andrew Garfield and Jessica Chastain. To, oh, to be in the movie to play the the two main characters in it, and uh, actually the the writer of the it'll be directed by the writer of the Big Sick, Michael Showalter. Oh, okay, yeah. Nice. So uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. They were kind of famous for uh, like kind of you know, emotionally manipulating people into giving money and things like that. Yeah. Uh, so I'm kind of interested to see what kind of a script this is going to be. Like, it's probably going to be kind of a takedown thing. I don't know if you saw like John Oliver's uh, news segment a couple of yeah. years ago about televangelists. Yeah. And I mean, like I'm a well, Christian, went, but that they, made me furious. Yeah, they, so. went through, they went through several scandals and also through like several kind of redemption cycles where like, they ended up kind of turning things, at least she did, like turning things around for a while and then falling back and then turning it around again. Cool. Did lots of work with, uh, you know, during the height of the AIDS crisis with uh, the um, LGBT community oh, cool. back then. So, like, I don't know. It's one of those stories I could see kind of going either way, uh, like yeah. being kind of a takedown funny thing or being kind of like a story of redemption thing. Well, if it's from the screenwriter, a big short, too, I could. Or did you say big short or big sick? The big sick. Oh, OK. Yeah. Well, I could see that kind of going either way then. Yeah, because like there's like the family aspect, like because their husband and wife kind of aspect to it. And there's definitely that in like the big sick. It's a very like kind of big concepts and uh, you know, the small... idea of immigration and everything, but seeing it just played out in an individual family. Yeah. 
And that's kind of what makes that movie work a lot. So, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know. It could be really interesting. So the other one, the other news that I saw was that uh, they're talking about doing a miniseries, a TV, like high-end miniseries based on one of Stanley Kubrick's finished screenplays. That because he left lots of stuff behind that never got made into movies. Yeah, actually, like AI. We talked about this on yeah. our podcast for uh, Spielberg. That was his like last movie that never got made, and actually Steven Spielberg ended up picking it up. But yeah, yeah, that would be awesome. So and what's this, this one? This called? one is called A God Fearing Man. Okay, and it's based on the life and uh, the book written by Herbert Emerson Wilson, and. Uh, he was a he was a church minister who turned safe cracker and stole millions of dollars from banks became one of the most successful bank robbers in in US history that sounds awesome <laughs> uh, he actually penned his own autobiography called it i stole 16 million dollars uh that was back in 1956 and uh, apparently stanley kubrick just always thought that the story was really interesting and yeah. uh had he wrote it, uh, wrote a script for it basically around the time of, uh, I believe, Paths of Glory. Uh, like right after, oh, dang. So right like, after Paths of Glory was a success, that was like when he wrote this one. Okay. And so they're adapting it into uh, like, uh, a, like a miniseries type thing yeah. for like high-end TV production. So, Do we know who's picking it up yet? HBO uh, or Showtime, see. somebody like that, hopefully? Uh, yeah, that would be great. Um I mean, I'm sure it's a couple years out. So if we don't have yeah, it right now, it that's is. totally fine. It says it says that uh, yeah, they don't know who's going to distribute it yet. But um, it was it was a company called Media Musketeers that was formed earlier this year by former Warner Brothers executives and Apple exec- executives. Uh, the project uh. It used the project. uh, They had wanted it to get off the ground back in like 2012. Yeah, uh, but it kind of stalled, and so now they're looking at doing uh, like production in the next year. So awesome, cool. Well, I look forward to that one too. Then, yeah, especially like knowing that it was written by Stanley Kubrick, and uh, I just well, neither of us are fans of Kubrick. Yeah, so it'll be definitely something that I'm going to keep my eye on when it comes out. Yeah, awesome. All right, so uh, Godzilla. Heck yes. Yeah. Uh, why don't we talk a little bit about like how you initially got into Godzilla? How I initially got into yeah, it? Yeah. And then I'll kind of share my history. Okay. Too. So uh, I remember back in the day seeing the trailer for uh, Roland Emmerich's Godzilla and thinking yeah. it was the coolest thing in the world because I was like eight when that movie came out. Yeah. That movie features heavily in my story too. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, I remember my parents were like, well, we'll see. Maybe you kids can go see it. And my brother and I were like obsessive about it, like yeah. buying all the toys and stuff like that. Um, they eventually let us watch a bunch of the like dubbed VHSs that we could rent at like video master. Cause um, you couldn't hear the swearing yet. Well, I mean, it wasn't that it was like, yeah, exactly. Pretty <laughs> much like they, they were like, you can't watch this PG 13 American ver- movie, but you can watch this like 50 year old Japanese movie that's dubbed over. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we watched a ton of like the Mothra versus Godzilla and like King Ghadira and stuff like that. Um, I really got into it for a while, so I feel like Godzilla has always kind of been, like, 
it's it's kind of nostalgic for me. I always remember yeah. it from my past. I remember like going into the video store, renting movies with my little brother, and like us just sitting down and getting excited for like a big rubber monster suit battle. Um, so yeah, even today I still get excited for Godzilla movies. I think that's why like we we both kind of get yeah. excited for Godzilla movies, even if they're not the best movies overall. They're still a ton of fun, no matter what. I feel yeah. like at least that's my kind of general yeah. opinion on them but yeah. how'd you get into them when i was younger in elementary school uh the library you know had all these old books and stuff and mm-hmm. uh they they had a couple of books they were in orange covers i remember with like a big face on the front and they must have been like put out by universal or you know the production companies back in the day okay uh because they were basically just advertisement pieces for like uh, the Creature from the Black Lagoon, Wolfman, The Mummy. Okay. All of those things were in one book. But the other book was just all Godzilla and all the different Godzilla monsters. And okay. it was just like lots of pictures of them and like a little bit of their backstory mm-hmm. and things like that. And I devoured that book. I loved <laughs> it. Uh, Rodan was my favorite. Okay. But he, see, here's the thing. I never watched any of the movies oh really okay yeah never saw any of the movies until roland emmerich's godzilla came out and that like tapped back into like this nostalgic feeling Mm -hmm. that i had for this book and so i went to see that and did not like it (laughs) (laughs) yeah i wonder why but uh but i would say that from that book i got this impression that Godzilla movies were Godzilla fighting other monsters. You know, that that's yeah. primarily what it is. Yeah. So uh, in some weird ways, I actually kind of draw a little bit of a correlation between that and being into Mighty Morphin Power Rangers when I was a kid. No. Because it's the same <laughs> okay. sort of idea. It's like big guys in rubber suits yeah. and stuff. And it's Japanese. Yeah. And so, like, in my head, that's kind of always what it was. Uh, then I saw the brian cranston godzilla okay and i was like oh that was real like because my only real point of comparison at that point was roland emmerich's Mm -hmm. and i was like oh that was way better yes it is better than the roland emmerich yeah i was like i actually really liked that i liked how powerful he was i liked that they like surprised me with you know spoiler alert like killing him off really early um, mm-hmm. There was a lot about it, about that movie that I really liked. Just the immensity of Godzilla yeah. was really – I could feel it. I, I like him a lot more in that one than I do in Emmerich's. We'll talk about yeah. both of them, I'm sure, pretty in-depth in yeah. a couple minutes. But So then uh, I saw Shin Godzilla. Which I still have not seen, but you keep recommending. And I actually picked up for a dollar at Family Video, so Dude, I just don't know why so I haven't watched it yet. Good. Yeah, uh, And I was like, oh – this is why Godzilla is great. And then I watched the original Godzilla and Shin Godzilla again. Okay. And I I kind of think of Godzilla as right now in my head being broken down into a couple of different categories. There's like the big brawl movies mm-hmm. where it's just him fighting another person. But then there's also like Godzilla as representative of larger themes. 
Yeah, and, and then there's also like, like a really goofy Godzilla, which I haven't. Seen. Yeah, well, exactly. I guess Roland Emmerich is kind of goofy to me. Oh but, no, like there's, I know there's a whole yeah series I know of Japanese like ones. The little Godzilla yeah, the little Godzilla son and stuff yeah, like that, yeah. and like some of the side characters are just absolutely ridiculous. Um, yeah. but no, I like uh like Jet Jaguar. I just remember him shaking hands with Godzilla after they like fight some <laughs> creatures one time and being like, okay, what's going on now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know yeah so i guess like for me uh yeah breaking it down into those different kinds of movies i'm really a fan of basically the one kind the godzilla as representative of larger themes yeah i will find out when i go see godzilla king of the monsters if i'm a fan of modern takes on the godzilla fighting other monsters genre yeah um i do like movies like pacific rim and stuff like Mm -hmm. that so i i know that i do like those big battle type things yeah they just have to be done well i think yeah yeah and like like Del Toro is a very competent director, mm-hmm. so I have no problem going to Pacific Rim and being like, "Oh no, this is a blast! I can, I can understand why I enjoy this." Yeah, I'm not as positive about the director for King of Monsters yet, so we'll see uh, who directed it. I, you know, I can't remember. It might be. Uh, let me just check really quick. Okay. I have my computer up now. Uh, it is checking Google machine. Sorry, <laughs> it is Michael Dougherty. Oh, did he do? Um, he did Trick or Treat. Which was oh, really okay. good. Um, I've heard that's one of like a good modern classic of. Yeah, it's a good. It's a anthology it, but... film. It's it's a great Halloween movie. Um, I think I talked about it last year on uh, Thirty One Nights, actually a little bit. But yeah, I recommend that movie. Cool. Um, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that's a pretty big leap from uh, yeah, a little Halloween anthology film to Godzilla Huge King of Monsters special effects budget. Yeah, movie. he did Krampus too, and that's another one of my favorites. <laughs> so I don't know. I've okay. got a little bit of hope, so. So, yeah, you've watched more of those, like, brawler, like, the Godzilla versus other monsters movies. Yes. Like, what did you think of those? You watched some of those this week even, I think, right? Uh, Actually, th- well, actually, this week I feel like I focused more on um the American versions because I wanted to get those out of the oh, way okay. for the site. Cool. I did end up watching uh one Godzilla movie that was actually supposed to be the last Ho-Ho one, so it was, like, a 50th anniversary um, and it was kind of like an all-encompassing project. Uh, they hired this uh, Japanese director who had also done this movie called Versus, um, which is just absolutely crazy. I think I've heard of that. One. Yeah, I think I, think I mentioned I, it to yeah. you once or twice. Uh, it looks kind of it, like it's it's low-budget Japanese uh, CGI, but as far as the story goes, it's kind of funny. Um, and yeah. it's like one of the most ridiculously violent movies ever made. Um, but it's all like in good humor. Uh, so they hired that director to do Godzilla Final Wars. Um, and this movie is, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, and I think that this one is really only meant to be appreciated by like huge Godzilla fans. Mm. Um, because they had a ton of people that even I hadn't uh, seen before. Like I had pro- I've probably seen like five or six of the um the dubbed versions way back in the day. And, you know, it's been 20 years since those. Um, but there were probably like 30 or 40 monsters that make an appearance in Godzilla final wars. And they all show up very briefly. Um, it's set in the future where Godzilla has kind of been encased in this giant ice, like iceberg. Uh, and humans put him there on purpose because he was ruining something. 
Um, oh, Godzilla. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you rascally yeah. rabbit, you. But uh, then they eventually let him out to help fight all these other Godzilla monsters. But there's like a subplot that has to do with psychics and a bunch of other stuff, too. Um, there's a bunch of mutants that are involved somehow. And all of the human characters in this movie are like the flattest thing in the world. Yeah. They're all like anime characters. Um, it just well, doesn't really work for me. That's um, the case in a lot of Godzilla movies. Actually. Yes, I, I do feel that way. Um, but this one in particular, yeah. I was just like, this is hard to follow. I feel like this is pretty much just like fan service, the movie, because it was pretty much just like, here's a monster. Here's another monster. Yeah. And I got to the point it's where kind of like watching uh, greatest hits. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's kind of what it felt like. It's a TV special. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what it felt like. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't recommend that one unless like you've seen 10 or 15 <laughs> other Godzilla movies. Like I thought that I knew what I was getting into when I watched it and I was like, "Man, this is hard to follow sometimes." Yeah, but the the characters, like the human characters in the movies, like the way you were just saying how they're all really paper thin and stuff. That was my one issue with Shin Godzilla. Okay. Uh it's and it's not even most of the characters, it's specifically the American characters. <laughs> Uh, because like most of the movie takes place in Japan or it all takes place in Japan. Uh, and there's kind of like a couple, there's a translator and like U S ambassador character in there. Mm -hmm. And like, especially because they're the only characters that speak English Mm -hmm. too. And their English accents are not great. (laughs) And they're just like, you can tell they are made to be subtitled. They didn't okay. care how these guys sounded really that much. And one of them is like the main girl, like one of the like kind of the like it's the not really not really a like love that. interest. But you, I think you're supposed to think there might be okay. a, a little bit. I yeah. don't know. It's it's kind of weird. And just every time they speak, they speak in these like weird platitudes and stuff that are just it like, yes, the U.S. government does not like that very much. Okay. Like that might be yeah, a line ve- of the movie. Very it's like stilted dialogue. Yeah, something that no American would ever say, yeah. even though technically it is proper English. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I feel like that's because in Godzilla movies, like the main character really is Godzilla. Yeah. Like, and like the 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 supporting characters are really there just to give you a point of view, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um like all of I don't know. And all like in all of the uh, Godzilla movies, anytime they try to make the uh, main characters people, I'm just like, just go to a different scene. I don't care anymore. Um, specifically yeah. in the, uh, the like when we get to the Roland Emmerich one, I like that whole movie oh, is man, just full yeah. of terrible characters. Um, well, I think that that's partially because Roland Emmerich is and, a terrible uh, writer, too. Well, and also most Americans, I would say, like they miss a big part of what is special about godzilla in japan uh the the movie is like original like especially like the original one and how it kind of it is really an analogy for nuclear weapons mm-hmm. the the protagonists of the film are not individuals and we as americans have a really hard time understanding that the protagonist is not a single person the yeah. protagonists of these films are japan 
Yeah, Japan, how they're dealing with this. Japan yeah. is the protagonist. That means characters are going to come and go, and you may not even know their names, mm-hmm. and you might not track all of these things. What's important to know is that this is how a country is trying to handle a national crisis. Yeah. No one person is that important. And I think for me, that's why, like, I, I love the original Godzilla, actually, too. Yeah, I but, did like it, too. Yeah, Um. I do think I read your review and I do agree that it is a little bit slower too. And like, it does take a while to get going. Um, but I do think, uh, overall, like there's a lot of great symbolism and then there's a lot of great special effects, especially for the fifties. Um, and I actually think like some of the, the conclusion actually is pretty cool too, yeah, where they and, like bomb them underwater or well, whatever. And then also like the conversation actually between like the main scientists and then there's kind of the mad scientists mm-hmm. and the, the, the girl and her fiance or whatever. And like all of them are like the one scientist that's talking about like, this is amazing. We shouldn't be trying to kill this creature. We should be studying it, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. And then the other guy who is like, no, we should just kill it. And then there's the mad scientist who's like, I, I've discovered a way to kill it, but it would be worse for me to tell everybody about this thing. Because then every government is going to use it just like they used the the H bomb. Yeah, it, the, it's like a dehyde. What is it? It it, it uh, explodes oxygen. Okay, that's what it is. And yeah, he's basically like saying I could kill Godzilla, but if I do, everyone is going to want this weapon. Mm-hmm. So I have to burn all my notes, and I have to kill Godzilla in a way that kills myself because otherwise they will get it from me. Yeah. And it's, like, it's a really interesting idea. Like, you can hear, like, echoes of people saying, like, well, we need our own H-bomb. We need our own. Like, let's throw it back at the Americans. Like mm-hmm. you, and, and you can hear the other people in the background going, like, yeah, but then we're going to end up just annihilating everybody if we do that. Yeah. Like, you can, you can hear the analogous conversations that were happening. Mm-hmm. And what's another reason I love Shin Godzilla so much is... It's doing that exact same thing, but in a different way, uh, like about a different issue, more talking about like ancestral sins and like the sins of your father and uh, That's cool. kind of like uh, I personally, because of what we're going through in this country right now, I see it very much as about bureaucracy and the changing of an old guard of politicians into a younger group of politicians and uh, like it's kind of tackling that issue of this is happening in our country and we have to handle it in a way that doesn't just open the door for our country to lose its complete identity. That's, that's awesome. Okay. I really need to see Shin Godzilla now, yeah, I guess. Yeah. So it's, it's absolutely fantastic. It, it does such a great job of mirroring the original one. Like even though it's CG, like there's a little bit of rubberiness mm-hmm. to the creature. Yeah. Like kind of like hearkening back to the rubber suit. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it, it just, even shots, like if you remember in the original one, they'd be like, okay, the ship, like th- this ship is mysteriously disappeared. And yeah. then they're going to have the scene where, you know, they're, they're tapping on the table, doing the Morse code. And all you see is the hand and you can see like the set wall that's right there. And it's like, oh my goodness, they just literally like brought a chair up and a desk and they're filming that in the middle of this studio. It's so obviously easily made. You could do it in somebody's basement. And in this one, that. Shin Godzilla will have that scene. It yeah. will be done competently this time. Yeah. And like you'll see rows of people in the background and they'll be typing on keyboards yeah. instead of tapping on Morse code. 
but they're still giving you those same scenes yeah because they know that's such a part of godzilla is like the parceling out of information as he's coming to shore mm-hmm. you know it's just oh that's i mean i can't i i just really love that movie (laughs) yeah yeah no um did you want to talk a little bit about godzilla 2014 the brian cranston one yeah yeah because i know this is one that gets a lot of hate um yeah i think you like this one more than i do i i really enjoy the last half hour of this movie i think the rest of the movie is very very competent and i enjoy it as like a rainy day movie but like i watched it once in theaters i watched it once for uh this review and i haven't i probably won't watch it again anytime soon yeah for me where it misses is that aaron taylor johnson is way more boring than uh brian cranston (laughs) yeah yeah the i don't but and to me that is just more of the problem of like not understanding that godzilla is about people groups not individuals yeah making like following that one guy around so much is a problem in that movie like well, it's it's just kind of weird because you're right. It should just kind of flow from person to person. And this, it's like, all right, we're going to have his character get established way back in the day when Godzilla or the Mutra first appear um, in Japan and it, like, shuts down that uh, nuclear power yeah. plant. Um, and then all of a sudden he's going to get called back to Japan just as these things awaken. So that's already a little bit coincidental. And then he's also going to get called into the army so that he's going to be the one that like Hilo jumps over top of Godzilla to go in. I'm like, oh man, dude, you got the like bad end of the stick here. Yeah, like, holy all, cow. should all be separate characters. Yeah, exactly. Like, holy cow. We're just following this guy straight through. Um, yeah, I was kind of just like, give me different characters or why didn't we follow Ken Watanabe's character a lot more and Sally Hawkins because they're the, uh, uh, characters that are actually studying Godzilla so I feel yeah. like it would make a lot more sense if they were the POV characters. Also, I feel like that movie is afraid to be as about death as Godzilla is supposed to be. Yeah, cuz you never really see like you see the destruction but you never see like a ton of like people, people dying. dying. And I like yeah. I, I don't mean to say that yeah, like as a the, gruesome but thing. The thing is like Godzilla is supposed to have this inevitable feel this like the thing they are facing is annihilation. Like mm-hmm. remember that Godzilla is an I is a film that is born out of the trauma a country endures when Hiroshima and Nagasaki are wiped off the face of the map. Yeah. Like it comes from all of a sudden not being able to get communications from this place and there was a giant flash and nobody knows what's going on. Nobody can figure it out and everybody we send to investigate it dies of radiation poisoning before they can report back. So it seems like you're just sending people into a black hole. Mm -hmm. Like Godzilla is supposed to feel inevitable and he's supposed to be like just death on your doorstep. Yeah. And Godzilla never feels that way. In the other Godzilla, in, in the 2014 Godzilla, yeah. because Godzilla seems more like a dinosaur than he does a personification of, like, just inevitable death. Okay. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. I do have, like, I, to a point, I really agree with that, actually. I do think, like, Godzilla needed to be uh, more inevitable. I do think he needed to be more violent, actually, too. But I also think because this is kind of the starting point for a new franchise... I'm kind of glad they kept it like ground level almost because we have a huge space for Godzilla to grow from here. 
Yeah, that so is like, true. like right now, like there were some awesome moments in Godzilla 2014, like when he smashes one of the bugs against the building. Yeah, I I still cheered the second time that I watched <laughs> it. I was like, yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> um, and then like when he breathes down uh through the other bug's neck, the other one, I was yeah. like, yeah, that's awesome again. So like, okay, we've seen two cool things that Godzilla can do, but we haven't gone to level ten yet. And yeah. I'm like, all right, bring it on. We've got uh, yeah. Godzilla, King of All Monsters, coming up next. So we've got a huge place for him to grow. Yeah. And they've already got uh, Kong versus Godzilla coming in 2020. So, like, which if Kong beats Godzilla, I'll be furious. Well, okay, this is something else. I saw that they already have Kong Skull Island, uh, like, in development. And if you read the synopsis, no, Kong for that, Skull Island. Or, no, no, Kong Skull Island. It's like Kong Skull Island Blood of Something. So it's the sequel to uh, Kong Skull Island. Kong actually. Skull Island doesn't need a sequel. Oh, I enjoy Kong Skull Island more than I enjoy uh, the uh, 2014 Godzilla, actually. Uh, it's so good. It's it's B-movie it's magic. Okay. It's okay. It's it's so much gorier than it needs to be, and I have no idea how it got yes, a PG-13 rating. True. And I love it. It's PG thirteen. Oh yeah, I love it. I, I think would it's have ridiculous. Never guessed that. Yeah, like uh, <laughs> like Sam Jackson gets like a bug, or no, not Sam Jackson. There's another guy that gets like a bug's tentacle stuck through his head, and like all the soldiers are like, "What just happened?" I don't know. It's pretty gory. I was yeah. like, "Yeah, PG thirteen. That's that's crazy. That's crazy." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well. Uh, are there any like other big kind of things you wanted to hit on? Uh, talking for twenty fourteen? No, uh, talking about Godzilla in general. Like, well, we didn't talk about Roland Emmerich's Godzilla. Oh, that's right, we didn't. Okay, so Roland Emmerich's Godzilla. <laughs> it's been a long time. Yeah, um, you watched it recently. Yeah, <laughs> I um, just remember thinking, like, why are we spending so much time with? Like, I didn't even really know who Matthew Broderick was. Yeah, at the time, and I just was very bored watching him like worry about his relationship with his girlfriend okay yes <laughs> okay what there in are, the world there are so many scenes in this movie that i'm like why is this in the movie uh it's like two and a half hours long and there are so many scenes that reestablish information that we already knew yeah. um like one of my favorite examples of this is while i was watching the movie within the first 20 minutes they establish in like five different scenes that Matthew Broderick does not have a girlfriend, but he used to have a girlfriend, and that girlfriend is living in New York, and she wants to be a reporter because that's the most important thing to know in this yeah. film. Why do I need to Godzilla. know that five times? <laughs> like there are literally different scenes where that's the only point of dialogue in the scene, and then we cut to a different scene, and they talk about that same thing like that's two crazy. scenes later. Uh, so that's one. I mean, but that's just Roland Emmerich's writing, honestly. So uh, that's the worst part of it. I actually don't think uh, the action in this movie doesn't hold up, but it's not as terrible as uh, I thought it would be going back, actually. I think what the thing that I don't like about it is I feel like it's drawing too much on Jurassic Park. And and Godzilla, it doesn't feel like Godzilla. Yeah, it, it just feels Godzilla, like it a just dinosaur. feels like a dinosaur. Yeah, that it can, feels like a big lizard. And and especially once you get the raptors later in the movie, because he has all these babies. Yes, and they're all just. It is like okay, it's literally Jurassic Park. It is, and the part when we get to the uh, raptors too, the tone kind of shifts. Like uh, 
up until then it's supposed to be kind of tense and then they go into Madison Square Garden and like the the like raptors are eating like popcorn and like playing with yeah, basketballs yeah, and like slipping over like gumballs and stuff like that and i'm like what is going on like up until 5 minutes ago this was supposed to be a pretty scary movie and now we're just having like home alone in uh, <laughs> Madison Square Gardens um yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It doesn't know what tone it wants to be. I feel like Hank Azaria is like the best part of that movie. And I didn't even like his character that much. I didn't he, even remember he was in it. It's he's, been so long. He's like the cameraman. And I feel like he's the only one that was actually trying like throughout that okay. whole movie. I feel like uh, Gene Reno, he was like halfway through yeah. the movie and he was probably like, oh, this is not going to be the next Leon the Professional. I can just stop yeah. trying right yeah. now. And Matthew Broderick was the same way. Just kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Like, let's yeah. just get this over with. What a weird bit of casting. Yes, really it is. Uh, well, like, I mean, he's supposed to then, be like a worm professor. Too. Yeah, but even back then, like, I don't know. Matthew Broderick isn't a leading action star. <laughs> he was in like election. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, election and Ferris, Ferris Bueller. Bueller's, he's a comedy goofball guy. Yeah. Like, what is he doing in this movie? He's trying to branch out, man, but <laughs> oh, it did not man. work. Ah, uh, whoever cast him, like they they should definitely lose their job because that was a that was a bad call. Uh, I do want to mention one more thing. Actually, uh, Roger Ebert shows up as a caricature in this movie. Actually, oh yeah, I remember um, saying this. Yeah, Roland Emmerich wrote him in. He's called Mayor Ebert, actually, and he's the mayor of uh, New York City. And uh, I was actually so curious to see if Roger Ebert commented on this that I went to his site and I was like, oh, what do what do you say about this? And he was like, I've been immortalized in a Godzilla movie now as a caricature. And he's like, ah, me and Gene got off easy. At least we didn't yeah. get squished or something. So maybe but, immortalized. Hopefully this movie will be forgotten I, into, yes. into, the, into the dust of yeah. America. Someday. Yeah, that is very true. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad I crossed those off. So now I don't have to go back and watch them next year when we do another Godzilla series for Kong versus Godzilla. So, yeah, is that next year or the year 2020, after? 2020, I think. So Really? Yeah, they're okay. turning around quick, so. Cool. Yeah, I I'm definitely interested in checking out some of the other older Godzilla stuff. Like mm -hmm. now that I saw the first one, uh especially the ones that kind of tend more towards the theme of you know, that the themes that I like that are really about you know, a uh, country's identity and coming together and things like that. Like yeah. Shin Godzilla is also like, although it is a devastating movie because you see just, like, so many, like, you see a city being destroyed. Yeah. And it doesn't really, you know, and especially, like, in the original Godzilla, like, they'll pan across wastelands. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, dude, this thing is destroying <laughs> yeah. us. But at the end of, especially Shin Godzilla, it kind of has a feel-good kind of ending or like kind of like you're I like i feel like a lot of godzilla movies yeah do, you get too, to the, which is kind of weird you get to the end of it and you're like yeah we can do this like <laughs> actually because like i've been thinking a lot about climate change lately and stuff mm, okay and so like i really saw this movie through the lens of like we have to figure out how to tackle climate change in the next 10 years yeah and i got to the end of that movie and i'm like and there's no reason we shouldn't be able to do it, guys. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Let's do it. It's just, it, it just gave you that feeling of, like, teamwork makes the dream work, man. <laughs> that's, that's great. <laughs> that's awesome. So maybe that's not quite what you expect from a Godzilla movie, but I feel like, I feel like it's definitely got that spirit about it. Yeah. 
So that's going to do it for our discussion of Godzilla, I think. But next week we will be discussing anime films. Woot. Uh, I know you said you were planning on checking out Akira. Oh, I, watched, I just watched it again, actually. I watched Ghost in the Shell and the, the movie Ghost in the Shell as well. <laughs> uh, I'm excited to read your Scarlett Johansson review more, actually, yeah, yeah. I think. And I know we're planning on getting in some Spirited Away and yep. Howl's Moving Castle. But, I, I mean, especially with something like anime – with so many great movies out there. Uh, I know the people watching and listening to this show, uh, you guys have your favorite animes. Yeah, we're barely going to skim the surface. Yeah, so. we're barely going to get any of them read. So like. <laughs> please, please reach out to us on Facebook, comment on the podcast episode post, uh, you know, leave a message on our uh, on our voicemail line. That's yeah. one, two, three, one, two, cinema. And let us know what anime movie we should have watched. Like, what's your favorite one? Why do you love it so much? Yeah. I, I know there are people out there that uh, they watch every anime that comes out. We are not those people. We are, <laughs> but we want to find those great ones out yeah, there, too. So, like, yeah, suggest them to uh, us, please. Yeah, please let us know what they are because uh, I'm sure this will not be the last anime episode we do. I guarantee it won't be. <laughs> and uh, I'd love to add some of those suggestions that you guys have to our list for next time around. So tune in next week for that for sure. And before we go, I think we're going to get into a little bit of a rundown. I think so. So do you want to talk about Game of Thrones first? Game of Thrones, first thing. <laughs> All right. So series finale, yeah. Sunday, Game of Thrones. There will be spoilers, sorry. Spoilers ahead. <laughs> yes. Uh, we were chatting a little bit about this on text earlier. Yep. Um, We kind of established I'm a little bit meh on I, it. I was pretty meh as well, actually. Okay. Yep. I think I'm like around a six or a seven for it. Um, but I'm I I looked at the IMDb score this morning and it was at like a four point two. Whoa! So really? yeah, to me it's kind of what I expected it to be. Y- yes, and that's yeah. I mean, do you okay? Do you want to go over like what happened kind of really quick? Um, I feel much- like anybody who's listening to this probably knows what happened. Yeah. Or if they don't know what happened, they probably haven't been watching the show anyway. Yeah. So, so basically. Uh, Brands on the throne. Kind yeah, of. yeah. We find out who wins Yay the democracy. Game of Thrones. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. So then, okay. So Daenerys wins, and then gets killed, and then they get over there. They they gather up all the nobles, and then they're like, when Sam Tarly stands up and says, "Well, maybe everybody should decide." I looked at Kate and I was like, "If this movie ends with a vote, I'm gonna be so mad." <laughs> I like, said the exact same thing, and then they if, all laugh, and then they do it anyways. Like they're just they like just do a different kind of yeah. Vote. It's like the electoral college instead of everybody getting a vote. It's like, oh uh, no, all these other people that represent the other people will choose, and I'm like, so it's still democracy. Like that's all it is. Yeah, it's just it, electing the new leader was such. A friggin' cop out. <laughs> like I just hated it. Uh, I felt like a lot of the big turns of the the episode, like um, John Snow killing Danny, knew that was happening. Oh like, yeah, a long time ago, everybody did. Yeah, as soon uh, as she turned in uh, King's Landing, I was like, oh, so John's gotta kill Danny then, because the, that'll be the most devastating person to kill. Then him. like uh, the dragon coming up and like burning the iron throne i'm like i don't understand why that dragon doesn't just kill Jon snow um 
I mean, like, I'm not saying that that has to happen or whatever. It just, like, to me, the scene feels weird because when the dragon comes up initially, all of my fear is centered on, oh, my goodness, he's going to kill Jon Snow. Yeah. And then they literally don't address that at all. I I saw a couple posts, like, I was reading a ton of stuff online, actually, as soon as this episode ended. And I saw one thing where somebody was like, okay, that dragon's either the smartest person in the world and realized that it was not... uh, that that it was not the uh, the Night King or whatever that was yeah. actually evil. It was the uh, object of power that turned Danny evil. And he's like, so the dragon actually burned the chair to stop the power yeah. from corrupting everybody, or it was the dumbest dragon in the world and thought that the sharp chair stabbed Danny. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> and so it like took its vengeance well, well, on that. And, like that's the thing is in. Like I'm not saying how the movie should or how the show should or should not have ended. Yeah, but when. Like, it's kind of like Chekhov's gun. You know, if a gun is on the mantle in the first <clears throat> act, someone should shoot it in the third act. Yep. And if a person walks into a room where their mom has been killed and the guy holding the knife standing above her and they don't talk about who killed mom, it's a problem. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I didn't have as much of an issue with it. I was just like, whatever. Like, because she's the mother of dragons, so I'm like, okay, when she dies, the magic leaves the world, too. I get that. Like, the dragon's just flying away. Yeah. I get the symbolism of a lot of it. It was just a weird choice yes and and in a in a show that seemed to be playing by the numbers at the end Mm. that choice sticks out because so much of the show basically just goes the way that you knew it would Um, yeah in the last couple of seasons um i do like well and in this episode specifically yeah uh, i i did see a couple things that made like connections uh to the books that i really mm-hmm. liked like i mentioned to you um azora high is like uh the lord of light he's supposed to be kind of like their uh, messiah um and he's supposed to save the world from darkness um and the entire show or the throughout the books everybody has kind of been surmising that danny might be uh azora high mm-hmm. or uh that beric dondarian was him um, but then it turns out that it's actually John and he was saving the world from darkness, which was Danny. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's a really cool revelation. And I was like, did they even mention Azor Ahai in the, sh- in the show? And you said, I don't even remember that name. So, yeah. I mean, like there well, are some things in the books that make a lot more sense about the ending when you get to it, yeah. but they don't address all of that in the show at all. My, my issue with it is, and I, granted, I tend to be a fan of this and a lot of people are not, but I'm a real fan of cyclical storytelling. Yeah. And so, uh, like, you've read the Dark Tower series, right? I have not read the Dark Tower oh, okay. series. No. Never mind. Uh, so, uh, I was going to draw an example from that. No, that's totally I'll fine. Just go a different I direction. read the first book, but I haven't yeah. gotten any further. So, so <laughs> some like, I don't know. There are a lot of things that happen in this last battle at King's Landing. Yeah. That have happened before. Like, and they, nobody draws any of those connections in this show. No, like whether they did it, whether they should have done it visually by like doing flashbacks to that original war, mm-hmm. um, where they overthrew Rhaegar. I think it is the um, the, like mad, the mad king, king yeah. and everything. Like they don't really get into any of that stuff. But like Jamie Lannister, classically has been called the Oathbreaker and all of that for killing his king and things like that. Jon Snow does the same thing in this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, draw that out. Like, don't you see the opportunity you have to, like, bring to tie up these ends back to the beginning and create this very satisfying, like, oh, man, 
Well, all of a sudden, Jon Snow starts to really understand Jamie Lannister because he has been confronted with the same problem and had to make the same choice. And whereas before he thought of Jamie Lannister as this scoundrel and this awful person, now it brings understanding. And yeah. like, the, all, there are a lot of characters that you could have done that with. Yeah. Or like, uh, for example, I. Uh, if you think about it, the blind maester who was up at the wall, he was Aemon Targaryen, right? Yeah. He was the, like, second in line for the throne, and then after the Mad King uh, happened, he got sent up to the wall, and he was forced to live up there uh, the yeah. entire time. And without, now John's and John is the, the exact thing. same way. Um, so, yeah, there's a ton of little things where I'm like, that's a brilliant connection that I know it's not uh, Wise and Benioff that are doing it. It's definitely Martin who kind of yeah. planned this stuff out. But it's like Wise and Benioff don't see it, so they don't draw it out. Like, it's there, but it's not being connected for you in the way that good like cinema and visual storytelling connects those things. Yes. It honestly... I wish both of the last seasons would have been 10 episodes and I wish yeah. they would have just spent a little bit more time with the characterizations of people because that's all this, this that's all it needed was yeah. like, just drag everything out a little bit more. Yeah. And just the one thing that was satisfying time to breathe. Yeah. The one thing that was satisfying for me was Tyrion Lannister's arc because his feels so earned. Like, well, and it, and it, it is drawn out from this character and this friendship that he had with Varys mm-hmm. and, the fact that like he I don't know like he gets to the end of his journey is like I've realized that I don't know what's best yeah. I've talked like I know what's best my whole life and when it came down to the most important decision ever I chose wrong yeah I I really liked Tyrion's arc too the only thing I didn't like about it in the last episode was he was in chains while he suggests that uh, Bran is gonna be king and I'm like so we're just gonna take advice from the yeah, prisoner now yeah. what is this <laughs> like that doesn't make any sense at all yeah um but yeah that's just another nitpick I feel like I mean we could we could honestly talk about all yeah. of the nitpicky things within this last season we could do an entire podcast well I show. feel like the whole thing is born of the fact that like the writers just don't know what to do now that Danny is dead and there's all these unsullied and Dothraki out there. And they're like, well, we can't have a battle where they kill those things yep. and they're not going to just disappear and go nowhere without any sort of thing. What are we going to do? I don't know. Let's give them a vote. Yeah. Like <laughs> I just, the whole time that he's go, like getting ready to go off to the wall, I'm like, you know what? If this was, if there was another season, gray worm would jump down right now and kill him. Well, and that, what about the spinoffs now? Because we've already talked about I don't really spin-off. know anything about the spinoffs, so. Well, they've got the one that's The Long Night, and that's going to be uh, with Naomi Harris. I think that one's set a couple thousand years ago, actually. So that could be about, like, before the fall of Targaryens. I don't really know much yeah. more about that. But I know they've got a couple other ones in development. I actually wouldn't be opposed to seeing, like, Arya, because she's going to whatever's west of Westeros. Oh, and so she's the be... most boring character to me. Well, but it would be a different kind of character now. It would be yeah. a different kind of story. She would be going off on an adventure. Um, there's a lot of people were yeah. making comparisons, actually, to uh, there's a series called Shades of Magic. Um, and there's a character in it called Bard. Uh, mm-hmm. Lilia Bard, I think, is her name. And she's, like pretty much Arya except as a pirate and so people were like freaking out when Arya did this because this is another s- super popular fantasy series okay. right now that I've actually read now yeah like, and like for this me was going on that would like, be awesome not judging it on that like I agree that concept could be interesting yeah 
my issues are more like I don't think Macy Williams is a good actress. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I I, I don't know if she could carry a show. On I don't want to watch a whole show of her. Yeah, they, I could watch uh, and Kit I Arrington doubt and, and I doubt they would recast her. Like, I would not be surprised if they recast her because she's a lot of people's favorite character. Because if they if they do recast her, I might watch it. Okay, but, that's um, fair. I would also watch, uh, like, Jon Snow and Tormund up above the wall. I could totally watch that. <laughs> I don't know what they do because, like, there's no more White Walkers, but I'm sure they could yeah, find something that would make I it interesting. I, I, I would be – I'm more interested in seeing Kit Harrington do other things because I – as far as – I know that I'm going to catch flack for this. I don't think he's doing anything dramatically great in Game of Thrones. No. Like, you haven't seen him in Pompeii or uh, Silent Hill Revelation? No. I just <laughs> He's I, not that great of an actor. <laughs> okay, it's okay. Because okay. that's, what, that's what I'm looking for. I was looking for confirmation of whether what I suspect is true is true. And that is, in this, I mean, he kills Danny in this movie, or in this show, and I'm just like, I don't know if he shed a single tear. I okay. Do you did you ever watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Mm-hmm. I equate him to uh, David Boreanaz or whatever the guy oh, that plays Spike. Angel. Oh oh the guy oh that yeah, plays yeah, Angel. yeah yeah yeah. Like he's really good at brooding, and that's about all he can yeah. do. <laughs> so yeah. like I, I kept thinking of those two the entire time. Like yeah yeah I, okay because i can't see him doing any i can't see david what's his face doing anything else besides tv stuff that's kind of how yeah. i feel about kit harrington down the line okay. in like 20 years yeah he did that gunpowder movie that i didn't get a chance that to see. the hbo miniseries yeah. i watched the first episode of that and i was like i think i'm good <laughs> i don't need to watch this so yeah well, well uh i mean that does it for game of thrones but uh you watch did you watch anything else this week oh i did did you oh yeah i watched chernobyl actually do we want to talk about that okay again? uh i mean we you can, can go first, you, actually. We can if you want, but I mean, I haven't seen it, so it's amazing. And I'm, uh, I was gonna, I'm debating whether to watch it or not. It's just, it's just hard, man. Because like, like this afternoon, I could have watched two episodes of Chernobyl. I watched the New World instead. Well, we've you got know? two hours before Zach comes over, so we'll watch one episode after this. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, deal. Deal. Yeah. Deal, It'll be my third time watching the pilot for Chernobyl, okay, but I cool, love cool. it. So, so that's why okay. Why don't we hold off talking about Chernobyl till next week then? Okay. After and you can I, catch up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. After, okay. Cool. That's totally so, fine. I the, think we could do an entire episode on Chernobyl, honestly. But okay. we'll see how you we'll see how you feel about it. I'm sorry, guys. We didn't mean to digress here, but we'll <laughs> we'll jump back into our discussion now. So so I guess like for me the I watched two things this week. Okay. Uh, I watched. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas for the second time. Heck yeah. <laughs> uh, and I texted you yeah. uh, that I'm going to have to amend my previous review of this movie because I really didn't dig it the first time through. I think you still gave it a four star, though, too. Did for I? the first Did time, I? yeah. Uh, well, okay. <laughs> I thought it was three. Okay. Um, This movie was so much better the second time. <laughs> first off, just on, just on the level of I understood him better. Yeah, because he talks through his teeth the you entire to, movie. You have to learn to to understand what he's saying. And after you've watched it once, now now that you're not trying to pay attention so much to everything going on around him and everything, and you can just focus on it and you've adjusted your ears to that voice. Because mm-hmm. uh, like the first time I saw it, I mean, I don't even think I started understanding him really until after the reptile lsd trip okay <laughs> after they check into the hotel yeah so like that whole car ride like i had we were just no, outside of barlow <laughs> i had no idea what was going on because i couldn't understand a word they were saying yeah so but man this movie is great yeah the, the stream of consciousness that is 
like being spewed onto the page for this. <laughs> yes. Um, I, it actually makes me kind of interested in reading some Hunter S. Tompkins. I really, uh, fear and loathing is really great. I started reading fear and loathing on the campaign trail too, but never mm-hmm. finished it. But, uh, yeah, I, I love fear and loathing in Las Vegas. I think it's absolutely hilarious. Uh, I really liked the, at the end where he's talking about how, uh, like this, druggy culture is looking for some meaning or whatever and uh just like every every culture ever has except it seems there's no bright light at the end of the tunnel yeah and i was just like oh man like yeah. he just got heavy thompson right has a lot of stuff movie. like that too um like you can tell that what because of the seriousness that he's writing certain parts of the movie or that certain parts of the book that was in the movie, uh, the seriousness with which he's talking about it, you realize that these guys aren't doing drugs for the sake of getting high. No, not at all. Which, and actually, which I think is a misconception of them yeah. that people have. They really are – what they are doing is more akin to – shooting off into space to see what's out there yeah they consider themselves psychonauts is what the the term they call themselves they they see themselves as explorers of perception Mm -hmm. as opposed to explorers of the cosmos or the seas or the you know the new world yeah to them it's like Aldous huxley the doors of perception that's what they're trying to walk through and when you see it through that lens it's really interesting. Yeah. It's just, uh, I, f- I found it to be so much more fascinating of a movie the second time through than I did the first. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that I will end up watching this several more times in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas if you had, I, I kind of wa- ended up watching it on accident. Okay. Cause I started watching this movie that is re- that released at family video this week called high on the hog. Okay. Um, which is a, like, another it's a drug movie okay uh but it's supposed to be funny and everything and uh it's just terrible (laughs) i watch for you i watch like 10 minutes of it and i'm like man do i really want to watch this for the next hour and a half (laughs) i felt like i'd be i'd be wasting something (laughs) 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 so i watched this again instead yeah and i was like i'm so glad that i did (laughs) yeah that's awesome cool so what did you watch um so as you know, we, I do that 31 Nights of Thrills in October, so I'm kind of sporadically watching horror movies uh, that I used to love um, and am going back to some of the ones that I kind of knew would not be good on a revisit to. So I went back and revisited Repo the Genetic Opera, which is a movie that I love. I almost rewatched that the other day. Yeah, I used to love it. Um, I didn't even care for it the first time, but yeah. I was like, I was like... Maybe I didn't get it the first time and I almost watched it again. I I wanted to really I loved it when, back in high school. Um and it is very much a high school Seth movie. Um I feel like I was starting to really get into horror when this movie first came okay. out too. Um and this is from the guy that directed Saw 2, 3 and 4. Um so all there's the good ones. Yeah. All, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, this movie has a lot of like ridiculous gore effects, um, just for the sake of having gore effects. Um, and I used to think that was kind of cool. Um, and I used to think that like the songs in this movie were kind of cool. And now I just think they're really angsty and annoying. And, uh, like, I think none of the characters are really well developed. Um, 
most of the CGI and stuff has aged kind of poorly. But uh, I was really surprised at, like, how grossed out I was by some of the, like, sexual stuff that they threw in this movie, too. Like, I totally forgot about, like, how sexualized Paris Hilton was throughout this movie, even though she has, like, a bunch of plastic surgeries and stuff. And I was just like, this just feels off. Like, it's not, it's not necessarily, like, um... Like, it's not more sexual than anything I've ever seen. It's definitely not, like, as bad as Bedeviled or anything like that. But the way that they're, like, uh, objectifying these women just feels like it's it's made by, like, a gross, like, teenager or something like that. Yeah, like, it's, if, it's amazing when I revisit old, like, movies that I watched when I was in high school and yeah. stuff. Like, how ignorant I was of the gross – I think be- I think partially because like I was just taught growing up that all sex stuff in movies is bad. Yeah. Like you didn't I didn't realize how gross certain portrayals are. Yeah, compared like, to others. Yeah, like okay, like a couple weeks ago I was talking about Bedeviled and there's a ton of like sexual assault and stuff in that movie, but it's used for a purpose. In this movie, it's like, let's have girls in bloody outfits writhe around for a little while. And I was like, why am I watching this right now? Yeah. Uh, Like, it just didn't make any sense. It's the male gaze problem. Exactly. I'm like, what is the point of having this in the movie? It really does nothing to help the story along. Um, It's just there to, like, you know... It's just, people. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, yeah. Like, it, it just didn't do anything for me anymore. And more likely um, than not, titillate the people on set. Yeah. Like, because... Like, we know that that sort of thing happens where, like, a producer or a director who has too much power will force a girl into doing something that they don't want to do for yeah. a shot or whatever. or And they're really just doing it because they're testing their power. Yeah. Uh, also, this is horribly lit. And I know, like... <laughs> like that's a that's a very small qualm but like there were hot spots and then like spots that i couldn't see in almost every single shot of this entire movie uh and they desaturated it so that it looked really awful and like, yeah i, I remember nasty how looking this like this whole movie just looks like it was shot by a guy with a point and shoot camera and then they just like color corrected it in auto like with one little filter over the Ugh. entire thing um so yeah I, I don't know. I was not impressed. So, yeah. But well, what I'm else have you been watching? <laughs> uh, well, this afternoon or morning, I got together with my brother uh, to watch The New World by Terrence Malick. Nice. Um, my brother is an interesting dude. He's not into, like, cinema the way I am at all. Yeah. Um, he's a pretty normal movie watcher well we're not normal movie watchers yeah. so yeah i mean that's yeah. totally fair and uh like i tried watching house with him at one point yeah uh, and he did not like it okay uh, we ended up having to stop it halfway through and he's never wanted to go back anyway okay and yeah he's just not into it and i was like you know he's very into anthropology into indigenous people's cultures into like all of that sort of thing uh he's grown as a film watcher for sure like he um He's like one of his favorite movies is Baraka and Samsara. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, of all the like kind of artsy fartsy movies that I watch and I hadn't seen this one in a long time, I bet a new, the new world might be one that he'd, he'd like. Yeah. Because it's about Pocahontas and the, the Jamestown settlement and mm-hmm. all of that. And, uh, and yeah, so we watched that and I really, man, I love Terrence Malick. Like his, 
his movies are works of art. They are pieces of poetry, Mm -hmm. meditations on the metaphysical. Like, I mean, uh, the way so much of this movie mirrors itself, like between the journey John Smith goes on and the journey that Pocahontas goes on. uh, I just like, I don't know how anybody who likes Terrence Malick movies cannot like this movie. <laughs> yeah. I know there are people that don't, and I don't understand it at all. Um, it is definitely more plot driven than some of his other films. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not so much that I would even call it a traditionally structured movie by any means. No, there's a lot of his voiceover stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a lot of, and even like, moments where they're cross-cutting between conversations that a person is having like john smith when he comes back to the settlement and he's put in charge like the people are like constantly pushing him to do things that he doesn't want to do and so they have this one scene where uh like his second in command is telling him what they should do and he's saying no we should be doing this and this and this and this but every time he says and this and this and you know keeps going with his argument we're cutting to a different scene of him saying it's basically they're having the same conversation over and over and over and over again, mm-hmm. but he's just using clips from all of those scenes in one scene. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just like, I mean, that's not traditional like dialogue structure at all, No, but it totally works because it gives you this sense of how much time is passing and how weary some people are of having this argument again yeah. and again and again. Yeah. Uh, I just, He's a masterful storyteller. Yeah. Uh, director. The imagery in this movie is gorgeous. Um, the acting, the performances are really subdued and sublime. Um, the production design is out of the world, out of this world. It is just like you see these English soldiers and how they go into fight against the of uh, the Algonquin. And it's just like, oh, yeah, of course you're about to get your butt handed to you. <laughs> like, you don't you don't have any way to follow the movements of a person who's not wearing, arm, like, armor that weighs 100 pounds. <laughs> like, because you have this little slit in your helmet. Yeah. yeah you, got the, you got the crap kicked out of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. It gives – it's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's been years since I've seen uh, New World. But, like, I think it was actually my first Malick film that I ever saw. Me too, actually. So I saw it in theaters with my parents, um, and I thought it was boring, actually, the first that's time I saw it. That's what I thought, it. too. My brother said the same thing. Yeah. We were just too young for it. Yep, and, it, and that's exactly how I feel. I I actually haven't gone back and watched it since then, but I know I'll love it a lot more now, just because, yeah. like, like, Tree of Life is one of my favorite movies. Like, yeah. uh, I understand Malik now. Uh, I think, well, last year, I think I reviewed, like, four or five of yep. his movies because I was like, yeah, I I just went on a binge of him because he's so good. Yeah, one uh, of the things that uh, I found really beautiful in this movie is um, just the way that, like, he draws this connection to the earth and how out of step with natural life the english are Mm -hmm. and it gives you a real interesting like meditative look at um one kind of identifying with the english Mm -hmm. and like understanding the plight that they were in but also understanding how terrible they were like it's such a rounded view yeah of 
like how much they needed the Indians and why we would have like you think of hundreds of years later. And I know it's not not this particular story that this comes from, but why we would have a celebration of Thanksgiving. Uh, It is because they were desperate and dying and Native Americans basically saved them. Yeah. Like it it really is. Uh, Even if a ton of horrible stuff happened after that, like there there was cause to celebrate at one time. There was genuine Thanksgiving <laughs> yeah. at one point. Yeah. Uh, but also how that does not absolve them of the way that they don't always live out that ideal. Yeah. Uh, and also that like the Native Americans could be really warlike sometimes. But uh, that, again, is because they were not living up to their ideals. Like we think of them as. I know like a lot of people kind of have this idea of indigenous peoples as kind of being hippies almost and like, oh, if we could just get back to there. And it's like, yeah, they were territorial, too. Um, But that's because they weren't living up to their ideals the same way that we like, especially as Christians, like I think personally don't always live up to my ideals. Mm -hmm. Um, It's something that ends up that in the end kind of makes me feel like I understand and more united to them than before because i realized like oh we're both struggling for some high ideal and failing in some ways yeah uh yeah just beautiful movie yeah i'll i'll stop now at because i've already talked about it i think for 10 minutes (laughs) that's totally uh, cool uh what's next for you uh i saw john wick 3 in imax it was pretty great um Uh, I feel like if you like the John Wick movies, you'll really enjoy this. Uh, I personally enjoyed this one just about as much as I enjoyed John Wick 2. Um, I think John Wick 2 is the better one. Uh, I know some people like the first one a little bit more. They think the second one goes off the rails. I think you're one of those people, actually. I am am one of those people. Um, I like the world that he builds. I'm kind of in the realm of if I can accept uh, James Bond, if I can accept Kill Bill, why can't I accept uh, John Wick as like its own separate universe, too? Um, so yeah, they kind of build on that world a little bit more in this one. Um, and again, I really like that world. They've got like, uh, the continental and then they've got like their international guild of assassins. Um, and they've got kind of a whole hierarchy and how the world kind of structures or is structured. And this one is kind of dealing with the fallout of what happened in John Wick two. So like, uh, Ian McShane's character, the guy that Winston, the guy that runs the continental, um, he gets approached by like the international assassins guild, like their head leaders. Mm-hmm. And he's like, all right, you helped out John wick. So you're going to get punished for this. Uh, and so does like Lawrence Fishburne. He also gets, uh, addressed by somebody like this. Um, but it's pretty much just John wick is getting chased from, uh, one start of the, or one beginning of the movie till the end of the movie. Um, nothing much changes as far as plot goes. He's still on the run at the very end. Um, but it is an absolute blast as far as action goes. Um, from what I've heard and the way that you've described it, I feel like I might like it more than John wick two. Yeah. I, I mean, as far as action goes, it's about on par. Um, the way that the structure is done. Um, if you've watched a lot of like Kung Fu or martial arts movies, usually there will be like a huge battle in the middle of the movie. Mm -hmm. And then after that, the person will like start fighting like one-on-one or like one-on-two people kind of thing, because those are the more difficult people that he has to fight. Um, so this movie is kind of structured like that. There's like gigantic fights in the middle. Like the body count is in the hundreds. It's gotta be. Um, yeah. Cause I, I think like one of the things that uh, I didn't care for in John Wick 2 was I know what a lot of people liked about it was the world building. Yeah. And for me, I'm like, I don't need any of this explained. 
Yeah. Please just get me to the next action sequence. I'm here for the action sequences. Oh, yeah. And it, that's what this movie is. It's action, but it's also like, I'm going to build up a little bit of the world and then we're going to go on. But it also, like, you get a little bit more backstory onto John Wick's character, but it never goes so far as to, like, lay it out for you. It's just like, oh, you figure it out. Like, we're going to go okay. into this building and you're going to get uh, taken through it by Angelica Houston. And just as you're walking through, you're going to understand that, like, John Wick was raised here kind of thing. Okay. Um, so it's like that kind of world building. Um, but the way that it ends gets me really excited for John Wick 4, actually, and they've already confirmed that's coming out uh, in 2021. Well, with how much money it's done, there's no way that they're not going to keep making them. Yeah, um, and honestly, I am excited. Um, it, th- I mean, it, I'd rather see Keanu Reeves like doing these sorts of movies than like the mess of a Matrix like series. Yeah, that he had. Like, yeah. Like this is this is what he's good at. He has found his role. He's not a great dramatic actor, but like he is pretty awesome as an action. He's guy, pretty so. awesome at looking cool. <laughs> yeah. So, and he does that a lot in this movie. Um, we have thrown like believability out the window at this point. Like, there's uh, parts where John Wick is fighting guys that are so heavily armored that he keeps shooting them, but they won't die. So he has to, like, shoot them in the back of the head. So in order to fight them, he is, like, gun-fooing people. He's shooting them with bullets, fighting them, and then he has to, like, go around behind them and shoot them in the back of the head. So there are times when he's, like, shooting people on the ground, jumping up, shooting other people, and just trying to keep them in I don't know. It's pretty great. Uh, or then there's like a knife hallway fight scene that uh, it rivals the uh, old boy hammer hallway really? fight scene for me. Yeah, that's it's one pretty of the, great. That's one of the all time great fight scenes in my opinion. Yeah, um, it's the knife hallway fight scene might be my favorite scene, and it's like probably 20 minutes into this movie. There's a lot of great other fight scenes cool, too, cool. but I, uh, people were just like, I will, oh! I will probably see this movie then if just for that scene. Yeah. It, oh, it's, if it's if it's you that definitely good. need to see it. Okay. So yeah. Yeah, it's cool, definitely cool. worth seeing. Um, if you see it in theaters or on the small screen, regardless, you do need to see it because it's it's like one of my favorite action movies of the decade, I think. So it, it is up there with uh, like the Raid 2 as far as choreography goes to. Awesome. So, yeah, it's pretty great. Well, I think that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, as a reminder, uh, be sure to check us out on Facebook and reply uh, with your favorite anime movies, why you love them. If you call into our uh, voicemail line at 123-12-CINEMA, you can leave a message there. We'll actually play it on the show next week, uh, talking about the anime films as well. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Like, comment, and share our posts. For hundreds of movie reviews from a spiritual and cinephile perspective, visit truemythmedia.com. And we will say farewell, friends. Peace.